0: Texas. Beverly Allett was an unusual child. She liked to put lots of band-aids on herself so that people would ask her what had happened to her. But lots of kids put band-aids on themselves, and so this didn't give her the empathy she wanted. She graduated soon to raps for sprains. And as she got older, she even learned how to make simple casts for herself. This earned her all kinds of attention. Then she discovered the medical community at large. Faking symptoms, she managed to get her healthy appendix removed. Then she, on purpose, infected the healing wound so she could extend the doctor's treatment and attention. She would go to different doctors, shop her faked illnesses around because some were on her cons. Beverly, somewhat surprisingly, had a boyfriend, and she accused him of rape, and abuse, she faked a pregnancy, more attention. When she seemed to run out of audiences for her tragedies, she decided, and it's frightening to consider, that she would become a nurse. So she went to nursing school, fared badly, missed many classes because she was often ill. Despite failing her exams, she managed somehow to get a job as a temporary nurse with a desperately understaffed government facility, Grantham and Kestvan Hospital. She was assigned, perfectly for her needs, to the children's ward, where her career as the angel of death began. Here, she was in the right place to become Britain's most notorious female serial killer. If you know much about medicine or law, you likely have already realized that Beverly suffered from Munchausen syndrome. When she couldn't get the kind of attention she wanted by faking her own illnesses, she moved to another dimension of the syndrome, Munchausen syndrome, by proxy. Beverly would eventually be convicted as a serial killer largely on the testimony of Dr. Samuel Meadow, who identified the syndrome of Munchausen syndrome by proxy in 1977 he said that it was the intentional production or feigning of physical or psychological signs or symptoms in another person who is under the individual's care the motivation for the perpetrator's behavior is to assume the sick role by proxy so beverly moved from empathy for self to empathy for others that she could enjoy vicariously by proxy. Beverly's first victim. On February 21st, 1991, her first victim, seven-month-old Liam Taylor, was admitted to the children's ward with a chest infection. Allett went out of her way to reassure his parents that he was in capable hands and persuaded them to go home, get some rest, When they returned, Allett told them that Liam had suffered a respiratory emergency, but that he had recovered. She volunteered for extra night duty so she could watch over the boy, and his parents chose to spend the night at the hospital as well. Liam had another respiratory crisis just before midnight, but it was felt that he'd come through it satisfactorily. Allett was left alone with the boy, however, and his condition worsened dramatically, becoming deathly pale before red blotches appeared on his face, at which point Allett summoned an emergency resuscitation team. Allett's nursing colleagues were confused by the absence of alarm monitors at the time, which had failed to sound when he stopped breathing. Liam suffered cardiac arrest, and despite the best efforts of the attending team, he suffered severe brain damage and remained alive only with the help of life support machines. On medical advice, his parents made the agonizing decision to remove their baby from life support, and his cause of death was recorded as heart failure. Alet was never questioned about her role in Liam's death until much later. But she did get the attention she craved by being in the center of the action and being able to experience the tears of the distraught parents as she gave them consoling hugs. This was the first of four deaths and 11 unsuccessful attacks wherein babies were sickened by Alet, but saved by the heroic efforts of emergency teams who had no idea Alet was causing the emergencies. But finally, The unusual number of cases clustered together proved to be such outliers for the facility, or any facility really, that an investigator was called in. When he examined all the cases carefully, he found one common factor, Beverly Allett. Forensic investigations discovered that the children had been injected with high levels of insulin in most cases, Sometimes she used drugs that would cause cardiac arrest. Charges were brought against her, and Dr. Meadow was the expert witness at her trial. His testimony was powerful and incontrovertible. She was sentenced to 13 life sentences for murder and attempted murder. Her time is being served in a mental hospital. Dr. Meadow said she could never be cured and should never be released. Her name was added to a government list for those who should never, ever, under any circumstances, be paroled. An earlier case in California is interesting. Here is a description of the case by Tracy Valero in the Hofstra Law Review. She writes, In 1981, Priscilla Phillips was found guilty of murdering one of her daughters by introducing a sodium compound into her system and of willfully endangering the life and health of another daughter by the same means. This case involved a classic example of Munchausen syndrome by proxy. The first adopted daughter, Tia, was continually hospitalized for vomiting and diarrhea. All the medical tests performed showed no abnormalities except a blood test, which revealed abnormally high levels of blood serum sodium and of bicarbonate. A little over a year after Tia's illness was diagnosed, she was dead. The San Francisco coroner's office labeled the cause of death sodium poisoning. The doctors, though baffled by the circumstances of Tia's death, never suspected her mother as the cause of the illness. Thus, the authorities were not notified, and no charges were filed. Shortly after Tia's death, the Phillips adopted another daughter, Mindy who on various occasions was also hospitalized for vomiting and diarrhea, her blood tests also showed elevated sodium levels. This time, the pediatrician took a second look, two children from the same family, but who were not blood-related, suffered from the same mysterious illness. Mindy's formula was then analyzed, and the sodium content was 448 units per liter, and according to the manufacturer's specification, the sodium content should have been 15 units per liter. While Mindy was placed in intensive care, her mother was not permitted to feed her and was only allowed supervised visits. The symptoms eventually subsided, and Mindy's health was restored. After this incident, Child Protective Services was notified. Priscilla was put on trial and convicted of murdering Tia. Dr. Meadows' writings made that prosecution possible, too. Mothers who induce this form of child abuse will generally transfer their own unmet parental needs onto pediatricians, nurses, spouses, maybe even the community, and get from these people the attention and sympathy they never got from their own parents. Often the mother has some type of medical background, And thrives in the medical environment, knowing her child's medical history with extreme accuracy, becoming friendly with staff and other parents, sometimes spending more time with hospital personnel than with her own child, and being very calm when told about extensive procedures that will be done to the child. The mother and child will develop a kind of symbiotic relationship in this syndrome. Dr. Samuel Roy Meadow became Sir Roy Meadow for his extraordinary career as a pediatrician, but also for his helping to root out otherwise hidden child abuse by providing a clear definition of Munchausen syndrome by proxy. What became known as Meadow's Law was this. One sudden infant death is a tragedy, two is suspicious, and three is murder until proved otherwise. In The Lancet in 1977, Dr. Roy Meadow defined Munchausen syndrome by proxy as a factitious disorder by proxy, feigning illness or psychological trauma, inventing symptoms, or even tampering with laboratory results in another individual to draw both sympathy and attention onto themselves. And the following are listed as the criteria for the disorders— intentional production or feigning of physical or psychological signs or symptoms in another person who is under the individual's care to the motivation of the perpetrator's behavior is to assume the sick role by proxy. External incentives for the behavior, such as economic gain, are absent, and the behavior is not better accounted for by another mental disorder. Dr. Meadow went on to be an expert witness in many trials And one of them hurt his reputation so badly that he lost his medical license, at least for a while. And that was based on his exaggerated statistical claim, ironically reminiscent of what Munchausen himself was famous for. And we'll get to Munchausen's history and legacy after I tell you about the case that brought Meadow down. And we'll get to that next week, along with the history of Munchausen himself and how his name became associated with this fascinating syndrome. That's all for this week on Beyond Texas. Thanks for joining me. I'm W.F. Strong. You can reach me anytime at Podcast at gmail.com. Here's a little music for you.